0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick an obscure topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The Sentry. What is The Sentry? Well, he was a long-forgotten comic book character co-created by Stan Lee and Artie Rosen, who for whatever reason, never quite got out of his co-creator's desk drawer and was honestly just never published. Smash cut to the 2000s, and Marvel's looking to find any way to stay out of bankruptcy. So what do they do? They dusted him off and had Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee reboot the character for a modern audience. Or at least, that's what they wanted you to think. Was just a few years out of bankruptcy. Blah, 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 blah. It's all good. It's all good. Marvel Comics was just a few years out of bankruptcy that they had to file and that they had to file. Oh, the yeah, bankruptcy yeah. that they had to file. Yeah. Marvel Comics. <laughs> Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics. Oh my god. All right. You're, fuck it. You're leading this one.
1: <laughs> fuck it. You're leading it. I can't read. <laughs> Marvel Comics was just a few years out of the bankruptcy they had to file and the highly regrettable selling of their film rights. They were trying everything they could think of to make the company stay afloat. They gave Jimmy Palmiotti and Joe Quesada their own publishing imprint, Marvel Knights, where they were tasked with telling darker, more adventurous stories utilizing Marvel's street-level heroes. Ironically, much of this story revolves directly around Marvel and the magazine that arguably was chiefly responsible for courting the speculator boom that caused the market implosion and... Marvel's Inevitable Bankruptcy. That magazine? The simply titled Wizard Magazine. The first hint of anything having to do with Century was in Daredevil, Volume 2, Number 9, from 1999. In the letters column at the end of the issue, there was a missive to the artist Artie Rosen, who was credited with working at Timely and Marvel during their formative years. It revealed that he was in poor health and that it was hoped by all the Marvel staffers that he would get well soon. I, uh,
0: so if you don't remember, the Marvel Knights Daredevil stuff is the... David Mack, number nine is a David Mack issue. Joe Quesada drew it. Uh, It's during the Bendis era, and uh, this was a good time for Daredevil. It's a real good time for Daredevil. Bri-bri Mikey Bendis? Bri-bri Mikey Benz. Uh, Yeah, and uh, I love... Dresses like a
1: 1920s gangster? Does he? Uh, I just know him as always. He's just always wears, like, shorts and shit. uh, Maybe he was going through a phase, but whenever I first became aware of him... yeah. Um, and looked him up. He just dress. He dresses like Kingpin, or at least he did. Oh wow, like, weird! Wow,
0: I I haven't seen those photos. I I'm excited to see him wearing ill fitting suits. Yeah, I'm assuming that means he only wears white uh white sport coats with an ascot. Uh
1: no, I I, I mean it was more like it was more like Al Capone, I guess than, oh, than I Kingpin. Love it. I love it. It's so good yeah the the exact quote for the
0: the exact quote for the the little end card in the letters page of devil's Advocate, which is the letter, name of the letters column for Daredevil if you didn't know
1: which is uh this is actually uh, this is this is giving me a weird uh flashback nostalgia for something that i didn't even like realize I had nostalgia for because you know i've never i've never been a huge i've never been huge into comic books or i I'm, I'm more into comics now than I was when I was a kid I yeah. did read comics Mm-hmm. Um, but I just would never have called myself a comic fan. I think I, I talked about it a little bit on the Stratemeyer Syndicate episode that I just... They, they just... Uh, superhero comics didn't really resonate with me as a kid. Uh, be, for I, I think some of the power fantasy of it just wasn't related, relatable to me at the time. And also when I was a kid, I, I just didn't realize there was anything other than superhero comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like later on, as I got a little older, then I started like discovering... Like I used to read buffy and uh some manga and the sonic the Hedgehog comics it was basically like whatever was in the video store that was by my house um uh but and i also i read wizard Mm. um and so in looking at these screenshots and looking at like the letters column and stuff like that i was like oh yeah like i didn't even realize that when i was a kid i actually did this like i would i would always read the letter columns in the comics that i got um, and I kind of forgot that that was like a thing that I did. Yeah, I love
0: letters columns, man. There, there's some, there's something very uh, pure about them, and uh, I love the I love reading old letters columns and finding like working pros today who wrote fan letters in books from the 90s or the 80s or like I was even I forget if it was an Amazing Heroes or I was reading something and there was a there was a a fan letter from the guy who started IDW publishing, <laughs> Ted Adam. And I was like, this is so weird. Yeah. This is so weird that he just was like, there's a dude just reading, you know, Cerebus or whatever it was. I don't remember now. Uh, But the, the quote in the Daredevil at the end of the letters pages in Daredevil is, we want to take this short bit of space to invite all of you to join us in sending off a hearty get well wish to Artie Rosen and the Rosen family. Artie, for you younger readers, was instrumental during Marvel's formative years, providing some of comics' most influential yet least acknowledged pencil and ink work. Artie, you keep inspiring us, so get well soon. Our prayers are with you, and we'll see you in the funny books. That's nice, right? I wish that they did that more to people. Like, There's so many comics creators that are just completely like forgotten because comics comes from a... Uh, you know, a tradition of being viewed as cultural detritus. So, like immediately after your book leaves the newsstand, you're just like forgotten. Yeah, and I wish that there was more of an effort by some of these larger publishers to kind of celebrate the history of comics. Mm-hmm. And you know, they do that every once in a while. Like when when Stan passed, they put his face on all the books, and that was a thing. uh You know, when when Steve Ditko passed, they put like re- in remembrance of Steve Ditko stuff in all the books. But like stuff like this where it it, like even I don't know, it's just it's just weird that they don't do shit like this more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a feedback loop of uh, the fact like the fact that like kind of nobody cares about them. Mm -hmm. So they don't feel the need to do that. And Mm -hmm. then that continues the cycle of people not caring about them. Yeah. And unfortunately for our for our boy Artie
0: Rosen, it doesn't it doesn't end too well. It ends basically just like everybody else in comics. And then in January
1: of 20,000... Uh, 20,000. 20, guy had a long life. That guy life. Lived, he lived a while. Um, and then in January of 2000, Artie Rosen passed away. This announcement of his passing and the obituary was detailed in issue 103 of Wizard. The article referred to Rosen as an elder statesman, detailed a long career of many works that were uncredited, and even featured a lengthy quote from Stan Lee, who claimed that the two used to be quite close, but in recent years had lost touch. Uh, echoing the sentiments that you had just said about, like, you
0: used to have, you know, you're having nostalgia for all these things you didn't realize. This The issue 103 of Wizard has a J.G. Jones Black Widow cover on it, and I had that issue. Yeah. I had that issue, and I also read this article, and I was like, oh, I don't know who this is. This is crazy that this guy passed away.
1: Yeah, I I, com- I forgot that I read this. Um you were you posted or there was something on on social media uh about Wizard uh that I oversaw if you talking to somebody else about it. Mm. And I was like there was a weird moment where I was like I was thinking it was Wizards of the Coast. Oh yeah, the the trading card company. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute, no, this isn't Wizards of the Coast, and I was like, Why is this familiar? And then this reading this outline just opened it up and I was like, Oh fuck, like I read this. Yeah. Um I actually, I discovered the Phantom through, the, oh, through really? Wizard. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. For those of you who don't know, I love the Phantom. Um, yeah, and I, I don't even remember where I got them or why. I mean, they were kind of like everywhere. Like I said, I wasn't huge into comics. I just kind of read them. I mean, in the 90s, Wizard was just ubiquitous. Like, they had it in grocery stores. They had it everywhere. I think I must have gotten it from the video store. Yeah. Uh, where I was, where I grew up in, uh, in Eastern New Mexico, in Roswell. Um, in, in New Mexico, as well as, as Texas and Arizona, there was a chain uh, called Hastings, and it's a hybrid, or it was a hybrid, video store, bookstore, music store. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like Sam Goody, Blockbuster, and uh, Barnes and Noble, like mm-hmm. like put together. Um, and it was like the greatest fucking store ever um, And Are that, they
0: still around I feel like they were still they around. were
1: still around they yeah. went out of business like a couple of years ago yeah, I, I was on a trip um, with my wife and uh, We went through Arizona and I saw one and I was like fuck Hastings and we went in and I guess for a while they had pivoted to like uh Selling a lot of like novelty collectors toys mm. um, They had this huge area of just like the kind of shit you'd see in uh, a Hot Topic or a GameStop. Mm. Um, and I guess they had kind of stayed afloat because they had pivoted to um, selling these collector's toys. Yeah. Uh, and then they finally went out of business in like October of 2016 or something.
0: R.I.P. Hastings. Yeah. So the article has the big, big letters. Artist Rosen passes away. And the text of the article is, the comic world lost one of its elder statesmen, Artie Rosen, the artist best remembered for his work on... Crime Can't Win for Marvel Atlas and Love Experiences died January 13, 2000 from heart failure. He was 83 years old. While the majority of his work was uncredited, Rosen's comic career spanned four decades and his debut in Exciting Comics, number something, it doesn't say, in 1941 uh, to his final work in Gold Key's Mod Wheels from the mid-70s. He's remembered as a staunch supporter of the industry following his retirement, and he was a fixture at comic book conventions near his home in Brooklyn, New York. And now, a quote from Stan Lee. We were close for years, and I hadn't seen him or heard from him, said Stan Lee, who worked with Rosen at Marvel. It came to me as a big shock. True believer. (laughs) Some of that was added. Not all of that was a direct quote. (laughs) Um... But I remember I remember reading this um, and I remember being like be, kind of kind of before I knew the the real story of Stan's real role in the comics industry. I remember being, you know, whatever. How, how old was I in 2013, 12? How the fuck old I was? And I remember being like, wow, I must be so crazy to be Stan Lee and like kind of touched every corner of comics and to have all these friends. And now it must be so sad that everyone's. Like, dying. Um, and also, I guess it was just kind of crazy to me that Stan would give a quote for somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, as an adult, it's like, of course, he's a human. But as a kid, I was like, wow, Stan, that's like getting, like, Walt Disney to be like, whoa, he's, he's called me a good artist. Well, Oh, man, that's crazy. Like, I totally was, like, totally bought the story of Hook, Line, and Sinker,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh. The next piece of information in the story comes from the immediately subsequent issue of Wizard, an article posing a question of, did Stan Lee create something before the Fantastic Four? The article alleges that Stan's initial superhero mold breaking family might have actually been the second attempt at making a do-gooder. Wizard 104, the article reads Stan's secret. Did Stan Lee create
0: something before the FF? Stan Lee may have done it again, or rather, before. The Marvel rumor mill reports the folks at the House of Ideas actually have sketches and story information for a previously unseen hero created by Lee. A source inside Marvel reports one of the sketches includes a date scribbled in ink a mark which suggests that the character may have actually been created prior to the Fantastic Four. If it were true, and I am in no way saying it is, it would have been a tremendous impact on Marvel's history, Marvel editor-in-chief Bob Harris said, and on the history of comics in general. He's not kidding. Such a find would be of enormous value, both for Marvel, which would definitely benefit from the discovery of a lost Silver Age Stan Lee character, and for Lee himself. The timing would be incredibly beneficial for Lee, who's preparing to officially launch Stan Lee Media, a company that promises to offer online comics involving new heroes created by the legendary writer. Online Uh, comics? Online comics? Comics you can read on the computer? What? Stan Lee, he's just inventing so many things! I'm not at liberty to say anything about that right now, Lee said, but wouldn't it be great if there had been something before the FF? Sure, Lee worked at Marvel prior to FF's 1961 introduction, but most of his work immediately preceding FF No. 1 was in the non-superhero genre, involving mixtures of monster stories, westerns, teenage dramas, war comics, and horror tales. All that changed, however, with the debut of The Fantastic Four, the characters ultimately credited with introducing humanity to the world of superhero comics. But were they really the first? That's a question that Lee would like answered. I'd be more than happy to look at the sketches and try and help Marvel out in any way I could, Lee offers. Like I said, I'm not sure what it is they found, but if it really looks like something I created way back when, I'd at least like to take a look at it.
1: Can you imagine um, the, the disparity between the expectations versus reality of like back then? Like if you were a kid back then and the idea of like, Stan Lee is creating this thing, this company where you can read new comics he created on your computer. And, you know, to as a kid, to a young comics fan, like Stan Lee was like the guy who created all of the comics. So in your head, it's like this is like the person who directly and personally made all of these cool comics that I love. And the idea of like that guy, the like Walt Disney of comics He's going to make new comic characters and then he's going to put them out and you can read them on your computer. Like the, just how amazing that sounds versus the reality of like the comic characters that like Stanley created on his own were just like stripperella and just like <laughs> terrible <laughs> bullshit like that. Like, yeah, nothing his company ever put out was ever any good at all. It was all just a bunch of crap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a,
0: a much longer, more nuanced conversation coming in the near future on that topic.
1: Yeah, but just aside from that, just, just taking it at, at at face value, like, I just, I, I don't know, I wasn't, I just would like to be in the shoes of a kid back then, and maybe you were one of them, who got so excited about that idea, and then, like, the reality of it was just, like, the worst bullshit ever. Yeah. Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's real bad. I don't even remember the characters from from that on Stanley Media online thing. I wonder what they are. Let me look them up cuz they were I remember them coming out and I remember it being like really hokey and like kind of limited animation things. Yeah. Um
1: Oh, no. Fucking motion comics?
0: Yeah, basically. Let's see. I don't even remember the characters. I remember a character had like a purple cape, maybe? Oh, It would help if I typed Stan Lee Media and not Stan Key. I love Stan Key. Dude, Stan Key it was the best company. Stan Lee Media was an internet-based creation, production, and marketing company that was founded in 1998, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy under protection in the year 2000, <laughs> and ultimately dismissed uh, from bankruptcy in 2006 um, in the early years the company created Stanley branded superhero franchises for applications in all media um, animation blah 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 I can't believe they only lasted like two years before they went under it's so funny uh, it doesn't this Wikipedia article doesn't have
1: because even they are just like, you don't want to fucking read about this shit. Yeah.
0: Um oh, here some of Stanley Media's most important projects included the animated web series The Seventh Portal where Stanley himself voiced a character, Isius is Isaeus, the Drifter, which is another project, and The Accuser, which is another project. Uh, the Seventh Portal characters were licensed from interactive 3D movie attractions in four Paramount theme parks. Wow, I want to see that that sounds so bad oh man yeah i don't i don't know if i ever actually read any of these things or saw any of them but i saw ads for them in like a bunch of marvel comics um oh man this shit was so 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 hacky yeah i did not i remember i remember being excited reading about it and then what as soon as those ads came out i was like this looks bad this looks really bad like, even at, like, whatever, 14, 13,
1: however old I was, I was like, mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm.
0: Yeah. I, I, no.
1: Just no. And now the reveal. There is a character that Stan worked on before the Fantastic Four. Wizard 105 showcases an article that read, Raiders of the Lost Art, Startling Discovery, leads Marvel
0: to ask, was Stan Lee's Century the first Marvel hero? And the drawing is a fairly contemporary-looking sketch yeah. of a dude that... Uh, is wearing a Superman esque outfit with an s on his chest and a mask and he has underwear on his outside on his on the outside of his semantic suit and um trademark kirby buccaneer boots It looks like a combination
1: of Captain America, Captain Marvel, and Batman
0: yep yeah um the artwork if I had to guess, I would say that that artwork was done by <sighs> I don't know. I would have to say it's either like the face looks kind of like poor man's John Byrne. So that makes me think it might be somebody like Bob McLeod or what's that guy's name? I think David Byrne drew it. David Byrne. Yes, it's definitely David Byrne. And every time he draws. I drew the sentry. <laughs> I drew the sentry. Look at my line work. <laughs> my cross <at> Ching. <laughs> Three point perspective. <laughs> Look at those buccaneer
1: boots. <laughs>
0: And yeah, instead of the talking heads, he starts a comic book cover band called the Talking Double Spreads. Yes, come on, that pun was great.
1: (laughs) So the article reads: uh, The next we're going to do some uh, craft work comedy. Yeah, yeah, no shit, right? Yeah, or some Bauhaus comedy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Artie Rosen is dead. (laughs) Artie Rosen is dead. (laughs) Uh, So the actual article reads Marvel struck gold Or silver as it were the folks at Marvel have uncovered both descriptions and character sheets for a Silver Age character called The Century, created by Stan Lee and Artie Rosen in 1961. Oh, and there's a big, like, bursting balloon that says, Wizard Exclusive! Which is kind of a funny dichotomy during this time period because comics journalism was basically just Wizard and the Comics Journal, and the Comics Journal would never have covered something as kind of hokey as this. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's cool that they found this character, but also it's not like they found, like, full unpublished stories or something like there's an urban legend that like Steve Ditko after he left Marvel made a bunch of Doctor Strange stories and just never published them and they just are locked in a vault somewhere that is cool yeah finding some character sketches
1: I mean it's fun I guess
0: but it's nothing more than just kind of like oh yeah Mm -hmm.
1: there's a character sketch that's cool yeah I mean imagine all the countless just unused ideas from artists that just exist somewhere Mm
0: -hmm. yeah absolutely I mean Topps Comics tried to ha- found that whole imprint off of Kirby's waste bin ideas, the Satan City saga. Like, none of those characters are real characters. They're all just, like, a
1: character sketch and a name. I mean, there's a, there's a cachet of unpublished Bob comics somewhere in my parents' garage. Is this your childhood character, Bob? Yeah. Tell me everything about Bob. It's really even not even that interesting. It was like a. It, it was like a. I. I, I drew a comic the, ex- specifically to make this kid laugh on the bus on the way home, and so like every comic was just like this character Bob just getting like killed in some like it, like really like complicated and elaborate way and I just would like at some point throughout the day I'd just be like I would try to think of the funniest thing to make this kid laugh on my on the bus and I just have there's just like probably literally hundreds of those. I love it. I wish you would publish them. And, you know, Wizard isn't fucking covering that shit. No, that's because Wizard ain't around no more. (laughs) Spoiler alert.
0: (laughs) Rumors have been swirling about the existence of the pre-Fantastic Four Marvel hero for months. While Lee's attachment to the project has always been suspect, Rosen's involvement is something of a surprise. Rosen, an artist whose comic career spanned four decades, may have been best remembered for his art on Crime Can't Win for Marvel Atlas Comics. He passed away in January. In fact, Rosen's passing actually paved the way for the discovery of the sentry. Blanche Rosen, Artie's widow, around the found the file, found the file containing the sentry's information while organizing her husband's effects. Blanche mentioned she found a box labeled Marvel Comics in the Den, said Lee after contacting the widow after his friend's death. So she sent it back to the Marvel offices. That's where Paul Jenkins came in. The Hulk writer unknowingly took a folder from an Iron Man scribe Joe Quesada's office. I was rooting around for some stuff to read during my trip home, and Joe told me to grab something from the submissions pile. Jenkins said, Honestly, I didn't even notice the Century stuff. And when Jenkins finally got around to looking at the fateful folder, he discovered it contained sketches and a copy of Startling Stories number 1, which was reportedly contained the century's first appearance. At the time, the writer said he basically ignored the incredible contents. I just thought it was an old comic, Jenkins said. I thought it was one of those crazy old comics characters. And then underneath that, there's a photo of current day year 2000 Stan Lee and an old ass photo of Artie Rosen in a Navy. Old
1: Navy's. Artie Rosie.
0: Oh, Artie Roro in a, uh, what I, is that a nav, naval, uh, Navy yeah. uniform? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, apparently there were no photos of Artie Rosen at the time of his death. Or at any other point in his life other than when he enlisted in.
1: I mean, there might have been photos of him at the time of his death. I doubt they wanted to use that for the magazine.
0: Bro, how great would that be? <laughs> Just a Just an open casket photo <laughs> of Barney Rosen. A dead body next to Stanley. <laughs> That'd be kind of great. <laughs> Just for all these kids. The, the story goes on, and we don't have to read the whole thing, um, but it basically details how. You know, the article details how um, Jay Lee and uh, our boy Jenkins are going to reboot this character for a modern audience. And they're going to kind of have sequences in it that are kind of drawn in a Kirby style as a throwback to the character's origin, you know, being in the 1950s and 60s. Um, And then obviously Jay Lee is going to come in and do the, uh he's going to be drawing the, drawing the series and it'll, this is kind of their, uh their sequel, their spiritual sequel to the Inhumans miniseries that they did in like 1999, which won the Eisner and like they, you know, at this point in Marvel's kind of trajectory, they're all just like, Oh God, we need any way to make money, please just anything. And the fact that Jenkins and Lee did a very critically acclaimed and commercially selling, book utilizing at this point ostensibly forgotten jack kirby characters it was kind of you got carte blanche to do whatever you wanted so the series comes out um cover we're looking at the cover right now it's very nice looking jay lee uh the century it's a five issue mini series yes
1: that use of negative space
0: yeah really really cool um the artwork is great um, it was a five issue miniseries and it kind of got so much hype based off of the kind of uh, surrounding excitement off of this these couple wizard articles that they actually expanded it past just that five issue miniseries and they did, I think five or six, one shots where the century would kind of like pop up at
1: different points in Marvel history and interact with characters. The revival miniseries was released to positive reviews, but the most interesting part of the miniseries was that every issue featured a behind the scenes interview with Stan detailing the creation of the century. I pulled one of these interviews just because I wanted to
0: read a specific, uh, a specific quote from it. um, uh, Because I feel like this is very, uh, it's a very quintessential Stan Lee. Like I said, most of my memories of the character are kind of vague. I figured that I had probably intended him to be a great hero, but that also means that I intended him to be a great human. That's part of the Marvel way. We've always done things here. The heroes are just like you and me, with as many pimples and flaws as we have. And sometimes, no matter how strong or powerful they are, they have feet of clay, with fear in their brightly colored little booties. So, I just want to point out that all of this is basically just hyperbole of him being like, I don't remember anything about this, but this is the like public persona that I've cultivated over the past 50 years or so. And he kind of like lines up the creation of the century with the way that he normally talks about the this process where he kind of is He's usually just like overly gregarious. He's overly kind of like this weird like fatherly flattering to the artists usually where he'll just be like, Jack was great. We always got along and he made all the ideas better. Jack was great. But what I wanted for the book was for it to be this cosmic wonder. I wanted us to go to places we'd never seen before. I wanted us to come face to face with gods. Which is like, we all know that the god fascination comes directly from Kirby. Like... Look at all the rest of his work. Yeah. The fucking Eternals. Fucking the the new gods. Like, he's obsessed, you know, fucking... Spacey, Spacey, Fly Fly. Spacey, Spacey, Fly Fly. Yeah. And it's just... Fac- Which is also
1: the name of uh, Kevin Spacey's new
0: autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had to ch- change it from Kevin Spacey, Bye Bye to Spacey, Spacey, Fly Fly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, the thing I find <clears throat> find interesting about this is we we talked about this in the uh, S- the Stradimir Syndicate episode. Um, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to episode one. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, just we did we went episode one and then it was all then downhill. It all downhill. Yeah, that episode uh,
0: one, great, emotionally <laughs> raw, educational. It was great. Everything else we've done, eh, phoning it in.
1: Yeah, uh, but we talked about uh, these creators, uh, particularly creators. Uh, with a highly iterative process and how whether or not they were, you know, as fully involved in the creation of things as they claim to be, uh, you know, whatever the realities of that are, there was clear patterns of this one person sort of being obsessed or fixated on this one type of story. Um, And I, and I, I, I found it interesting that, you know, even in this, he talks about this thing that he talks about a lot, which is this idea of like, uh, you know, Stanley's one thing is that like he creates like heroes that have like a flaw, and it's like it's like so almost simplistic in its concep- in its conception of just like, and it goes back to that sort of assembly line iterative process of just like, you know, the Marvel way is to have a character who's a hero, he's a god, or he has some kind of superpower, or he rides in a robot but he's a pedophile. Like, it's just like, it's <laughs> oh like, it just, God. it just has to, you just like, it's, oh but you, but I, you, yeah. could, you could just plug in anything like that. And like, I, I find it interesting that like, even in this, he's talking about that.
0: Yeah. Cause like um, the century's weakness is he basically has an alternate persona. Like it's supposed to be a, a metaphor for mental illness. It's supposed to be a metaphor for, either depression or bipolar or what what have you but in comics because everything's dialed up to 11 in superhero corporate controlled stuff it's a a, a literal other entity that is lurking within him that is a like, kind of shadow self um called void and uh the actual miniseries itself is fine um it's not as good as the inhumans miniseries that inhumans miniseries i think holds up so well Um, But I think it's just kind of in some ways a little miscast because this whole thing is kind of this what if Superman dot 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 riff. But the issue being that Jay Lee is not a person who can do bright, uplifting, bouncy, inviting artwork in that way. Like everything he does is garbed in shadow. It's, you know, Kira Skuro is how he pays his bills, man. Like it's all just the human body just covered in black. And in a story where Superman has to, in air quotes, Superman has to confront that. You want there to be a visual juxtaposition, right? You want there to be the brightness and the joy of being a superhero and then the darkness. But this miniseries is kind of just stock and trade. What if everything looked like it was rusted and cracked and broken all the time? Because that's kind of just his visual aesthetic.
1: Um, Another thing about this miniseries is like, I'm sure at the time it was really interesting, but now when I'm in a current climate, this just sounds so kind of like hack to me not hack but it just sounds so like eh, yeah because it's like everything is like this now like yep. every story is like postmodern yep. like what if it was the thing but it was about the thing yeah
0: yeah i mean i i love weird metatextual stuff um and we're about to get to a big turning point in the story but i i think that the story surrounding this story is way more interesting
1: than the actual thing. Yeah. Um, And now we come to the reveal, the part in every episode of Scooby-Doo where they pull the mask off the would-be ghost, except 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, where the ghosts are real. (laughs) Available on Amazon Prime. Wizard Magazine reveals that the whole story is a hoax.
0: Oh, oh shit. shit! Oh, shit!
1: We've been hoaxing you! Oh,
0: hoaxed!
1: We got hoaxed, hoaxed. Oh, and no. now hoax. we're hoaxing. Oh, so much hoax! We got hoaxed, oh, and bro. then we hoaxed. I got hoaxed. You got hoaxed. You got hoaxed, when, got, you were, I, you got hoaxed when you were a kid. Yes, I got hoaxed reading this. Yeah, and then now we're passing that, passing the value on to the customer. Six degrees of hoaxination. Pay it, hoax it forward. Hoax it forward. Starring Haley Joel Osmond Star, Starring Haley hoax. Helen Hunt. Hoaxley Joel Osmond. Hoaxley Joel
0: Osmond and ho- <laughs> hoax and Hunt and uh, Kevin hoax lately space supposedly I got nothing but it was yeah, a hoax it's all it's not real none of this none was of real. this was real none of it zero percent which is probably not that surprising considering that our podcast Stan
1: Lee was never a real person
0: <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's I mean I like I said the idea that they would make up a fake character and pass it off as real and that it worked and people bought it that's awesome like I wish there was more of that that's really cool. The actual logistics of the book and the quality of the artistic content within, for me personally, kind of falls short of the, the high level that this set.
1: Reminds me a little bit of uh, our our old friend Tommy Hanhans and the Zodiac Killer movie. Yeah,
0: it is kind of, yeah. Apparently that's just a trait now with all these episodes. Like, I feel like our, our show is basically just like, remember that time where there was some stuff that wasn't really there? What, that they told you there, but wasn't really there, but then you thought it was there, but then it wasn't there? Deep cuts. Deep cuts. Executive produced by David Blaine. Yeah, pretty much. Bro, I'm just saying. D. Blaine, holler at holler
1: at your boys. You want to produce this podcast? You know where to find us, D. Blaine. <laughs> you uh, you better know, or else I'll stop believing in you. Yeah, I agree. If you can't find us right now, then what kind of fucking illusionists what's that, what's, are you? What's that behind your ear,
0: Andrew? <gasps> oh my god, it's
1: David Blaine! I David Blaine out of my ear. <laughs>
0: Hello. <laughs> so basically in the next issue of Wizard, they reveal that it's all been a hoax and it's been a publicity stunt and that Artie Rosen wasn't
1: wasn't actually a real person. Wait a minute. Artie Rosen isn't real? <laughs> I when we this didn't occur to me when we read it when I read it myself, but as we were doing as we were reading through this about ten minutes ago, yeah. I had a thought which brank, brought me a tremendous amount of joy. And I didn't want to say it then because obviously we hadn't revealed the the twist. Mm-hmm. But it occurred to me that definitely during this hoax, before it was revealed, there were several people who acted like they knew who Artie Rosen was. Totally. And act talked about talked to their friends and acted pretentious about knowing about this comic that he did and mm-hmm. and having like this and then like and then just when this got revealed. Just never talking about it again. Yep. And just that silent, like acknowledgement of like, I'm, we know what happened. We know what was said. You're not going to bring it up and I'm never going to bring it up. And we're just going to never talk about that ever again. Yep. That day, a couple of days ago. When I acted all condescending towards you. Oh, my God. You don't know who Artie Rosen was? Come on. And that definitely happened.
0: 100%. In fact, I I probably was friends with some people that did And I love it. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I I can't believe that it... I'm just kind of surprised. Like, I don't know if you can do this now. You know? Like, I don't know just because the way the internet works... I don't know that this can happen again. And that's kinda sad. Like I love this big, overly elaborate theatrical production surrounding a book.
1: Well, you know, there was a thing this wasn't a purposeful thing, but something kind of like this happened. Well, number one, you're right in that like, you know, I, I work in the in the internet. I've You work inside yeah, the internet? Yeah, you know, uh like, also, I, like also, I said last I, I said a couple episodes ago you can find me in the place where the lawnmower man is. I literally said that you did say that. Yeah. Um, but so, so I, you know, I, I, I'm in the front lines of this and, you know, and we've talked about this on a couple episodes as well. Everything's all, it's all interconnected, but you know, we're, we're living in a post-truth society where, you know, don't trust anything you ever read. And even when you do, it doesn't matter. Uh, so, you know, coming up with like this thing, like, It would be really hard to sell this because there are so many rumors and lies and things like that floating around already that like this would this would just get lost in a sea of other hoaxes that are currently going on. Uh, But I will say a couple uh, a couple months ago, there was a story uh, that um, and and maybe you're familiar with the name. I'm forgetting the name, but uh, there was a there was an actress um, who was a uh, sort of a cult horror movie actress and she had also served as a model for a bunch of artwork in like the uh, in heavy metal magazine Julie strain yeah and she it was announced that she died yeah um and then like four days later they were like oh no she wasn't dead and like some production company had like just said on their social media that she died and like nobody knows why they did it uh, Wait, really I y- thought she was she Julie I mean, was has Julie Strain since
0: passed away,
1: or is this? Um, no. Uh, so uh, let's see. Because
0: the, the the story that I'm familiar with, and I I don't I didn't know that second part that it was like all a whole hoax. But the story that I was aware of, which may or may not be true now, was that Julie Strain got kicked in the head by a horse well, as a child.
1: She did that that happened, and she she's dealing with a uh, degenerative uh, form of dementia. Yeah um but she's not dead oh really? Uh, i just looked it up and she's she's still alive so she oh, it was announced wow. that she was dead and then like four days later uh that her family was like she's alive and this production company had announced this and it was like the the whole story came originated from them posting about it on twitter and just be, basically being like our hearts go out to the family of julie strain and uh they didn't really explain why... They just... They apologized for it, but they didn't explain, like, Maybe that, that was, why like, they or, were trying to, like, sell a movie off the back of her
0: passing away?
1: Well, exactly. exactly. Which is what I was getting to, is, like, this wasn't the same thing, because it wasn't, like, a purposeful publicity stunt, but... This did make waves, and it got people talking about Julie Strain that probably otherwise would have never known she existed. Yeah. And it became this news story, and this production company that said this, they got lifted up and talked about in the news to the point where people who didn't know, who who wouldn't normally know about this production company were talking about this production company. So— you know in a in another world in an uh, you know this could have been a thing where julie strain well i guess she wouldn't because she actually genuinely does have this um dementia but uh you know another actor could be working on a movie with some production company stage this whole hoax that they die it would be super weird and and creepy but they stage a hoax that they die it gets announced everyone's freaking out and then they go, they turn back and like, no, I'm not dead. And then, but I do have a movie coming out, you know, like, like they could have done something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were given the amount of publicity that would have allowed for something like that to happen. So, you know, I, this isn't, this wasn't a publicity stunt, but I feel like the conditions of this seem like indicative that like something like this could maybe happen. Mm, you heard it first. Dave Baker is dead. <laughs>
0: His new book, Fuck Off Squad 2, Fucking Off Harder, comes out this fall. Please continue purchasing a copy wherever books are sold.
1: He's also dead, as we said. Dead. He's definitely dead. He's
0: definitely dead. And if you don't buy a book right now... He'll die again. He'll die again.
1: Do you want to be responsible for double death? I'm Casey
0: Gisham. <laughs> Today on the Top 40 inch, we're talking about Dave Baker's death. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> But basically, the, so the wizard puts out a, an article called The Big Lie. Um, the headline is, Marvel fooled millions by passing off the century as a forgotten Stan Lee classic and got a smash hit. Now, the truth can be told. Which is just like, it's so, it, it, it's such a Stockholm Syndrome-y, baby, I, I promise I've changed. Situation where like Marvel, granted their business practices were awful, but m- most of the speculator boom, most of the buying fifteen issues of Adjectiveless X Men number one, that stuff that culture was nurtured at Wizard and specifically Garib Sheamus. Like Garib Sheamus and Steve Sheamus were at this point in time criminal adjacent. We'll get into them later and how they became full criminals, but at this point they were criminal adjacent, where they were purposefully stoking a business model that everybody knew couldn't last specifically so that they could make a shitload of money. Like they, they made deals with Valiant where Valiant would pay them money to put the new Valiant number one on their top 10 most valuable back issue or, you know, a new, new number ones that are coming out specifically so that they would have speculator spikes in sales. And there was a formula where the Valiant guys basically were like, if we pay whatever the number is i'm making this up twenty thousand dollars to wizard to get two months of oh it's the number one hottest back issue on sale we will sell two hundred thousand issues and we will net a profit of x and like garib Sheamus forced artificial scarcity yeah completely farts
1: farts garib Sheamus farts uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that I was going to say, uh you know, and it's kind of similar to that. I just what's amusing to me about this is just how the whole thing is just manufactured. Like there's this article like the big lie. Marvel. It's like but th- you made this whole thing up like it, this isn't like this isn't like a story that you've gotten a scoop on. Like you conspired with them to make up this entire thing. Yeah, without you, there is no lie. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you're
0: the one telling the lie. Marvel was just like, eh, "What if it would be, wouldn't it be weird if we did this thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. And so there's this big, you know, four-page article all about how they came up with the idea. Oh, also, uh, I was wrong. It wasn't Poor Man John's Burn. It was uh, John Romita Sr. that did the original kind of like F- Artie Rosen drawing of the century and the, the photo that was run two issues prior of Artie Rosen was actually the great like grand uncle or something of somebody
1: like a a wizard staffer. Um, It was exactly what you talked about in the Stratemeyer syndicate episode, um, about the, the picture that was used.
0: Oh yeah. Like who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting quote in one of the paragraphs for this from Paul Jenkins. Uh, where he says the promotion was a reflection of the story and that made it all the more valid to me which was it's it, it's interesting because i don't necessarily disagree but i also don't know that the like i previously said the the story really lives up to this big hoax you know like it's such a it's such an outlandish idea and it's such a like there were all these cogs within cogs within you know plans within plans within plans And the story itself is just kind of like, what if Superman was bad? That's cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, taking the story at face value, the thing, uh, you know, I didn't want to talk about this earlier because we were concealing the twist. But, uh, you know, if this was real, um, uh, it almost kind of seems not that interesting to me like because number one the character is just kind of generic like it's not particularly interesting it's not like you uncovered this really awesome thing yeah it's like oh we uncovered this like kind of just uninteresting sketch yeah that somebody drew and yeah. just didn't do anything with yeah and it was technically drawn before the fantastic four so
0: it's it's this kind of
1: could- it's this kind of weird
0: like you're putting because you know how there's like just you you just have like a billion shitty ideas before you finally get to the good idea it's it's this false equivalency for people who aren't creative of like well look at this idea that he
1: discarded on yeah. the
0: way to the good idea that means that this idea is good too yeah,
1: every every idea has like equal value yeah yeah like it and because they don't realize that like People who make stuff like they have like a thousand ideas that they just lose interest in immediately think sucks or just kind of doesn't work out for some reason. And yeah. it's just like that, <clears throat> you know, ideas are important, but uh, I, I, an idea like that, like people have thousands of them and they really have zero inherent value until they become a real thing. Like an idea is meaningless until it becomes a real thing.
0: Yeah. Um, the other thing that's interesting in this article is that it lays out kind of who did what, right? So Stan basically had nothing to do with this whole process. They just kind of like put his name on it and surprisingly he, he took the, the, he took part in the process to promote
1: his company. Shocker. Yeah. The thing that I think is funny about that is like, even in, even in the, this whole promotional marketing, uh, thing slash hoax even in this it's so funny to me that like the concept of this hoax is falsely attributing the creation of a character to stan lee i know It's, it's like it's like you can't you can't make this shit up it's you can't win man
0: it just sucks so hard The other part that's interesting to me about this is that Rick Veach, the Swamp Thing artist, um, (coughs) it plays an important role in this, um, which is just hinted at here. There's a little inset box that's like uh, outlining what everyone did and the Rick Veach portion says, Rick Veach artist. Veach contributed a lot to the ideas, to the, a lot of ideas to the century, like Reed Richards and the century being best friends. A next idea was that the Watcher would remember who the century was and play a role in the story. And Artie Rosen was originally going to be named Chick Rivette, an engram for Rick Veach. Which seems like a fairly innocuous little thing, you know, of just like, oh, maybe he was in the room. Maybe, you know, he and Paul Jenkins are friends. Like Rick Veach published a lot of this stuff at Tundra, which was Kevin Eastman's publishing company that um, Paul Jenkins worked at for a long time. Like maybe they just were, you know, he was just kind of a guy around and they were like giving him credit. You know, that's cool. But the actual truth of that is a little bit darker and one that I sort of understand and one that is kind of really fucking sad. And on that ad break. True origin of the century. So, contrary to that small little one off, oh, look, Rick Veach was a guy in Wizard Magazine, this is a direct quote from Rick Veach's blog, which, if you haven't read, I highly recommend just in general. Whether you like Rich Veach's artwork or not, um, he has written a bunch of stuff about comics history and a bunch of stuff about old convention life and a bunch of stuff about the like 70s and 80s publishing industry that is fascinating. So if you're into comics history, go read Rick Veach's blog, which is, I believe, just rickveach.com. Paul Jenkins and I were old buds, having met while at Mirage Studios. We worked closely together on Brat Pack and Max Immortal at Tundra. Paul was focused mainly on production and editing back in those days, but clearly had a potential as a writer. He and I had often discussed a story we wanted to develop concerning an over-the-hill guy struggling with addiction who had a tight relationship with his dog. Paul was trying to come up with a way to show the character's addiction problem as manifestation in his unconsciousness. At one point, if I remember correctly, Paul pitched a horror version of this plot to Steve Bissett for Taboo, although nothing came of it. In the late 1990s, Paul and I came together to try and develop it into a superhero pitch for Marvel. At the time, Paul and I came together to work up the Century concept for Marvel Comics, as it was a financial mess. Sales were lousy, with the exception of the Marvel Knights line, a side imprint produced outside of Marvel offices by Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti. Paul had a good connection with Quesada, and the plan was to create a brand new character that we would pitch to Joe and Jimmy for the Marvel Knights line. Paul saw the character as a guardian type, with a watchtower. We tossed around some possible names and initially hit on the Centurion, which seemed a bit clunky. It was Paul who boiled down Centurion to Century, which sounded so good we couldn't believe it It wasn't already taken. What I brought to the table was the retro angle. I'd been involved with two major retro projects, 1963 and Supreme, in which Alan Moore and I had developed a sort of deadpan approach to the genre. Then and now, most retro stories you see tend to be over-exaggerated. The dumbness is caricatured, played for laughs in both the writing and the art. Alan and I believed in such an approach was to be avoided. It was this close as you can get to mimicry approach that I wanted to bring to the century, creating a false history for the character with versions going back to Timely in the 1940s. Paul liked the idea, but wondered how we could explain the character's absence from 60 years of company continuity. That's when the light bulb went on. I'm quite sure it was my suggestion that something so horrible happened to the Sentry that all memory of the event and the Sentry himself had to be wiped out, probably by some Marvel character on the scale of the Watcher. Right there, Paul and I knew we had it, the Sentry's quest to return his memories and powers, a solution for his absence from Marvel continuity, and a motivation for his attack on his own unconscious. We quickly ran it through some of the other Marvel characters, plotting out how they figured into the mass amnesia. Most of them would have their memories erased, but some, like the Hulk, wouldn't. And a few, like Reed Richards and Dr. Doom, would be smart enough to figure out what happened. As Paul and I gleefully riffed on how we would depict the century through the various decades, we realized that we couldn't use the names of any other real artists or writers. The crux of our scheme was that the characters had been around for 60 years, but it wouldn't be fair to say that he had been written by Stan Lee and drawn by Jack Kirby, John Romita, Neil Adams, Jim Starlin, Frank Miller, or Rob Liefeld. So we decided to create our own Nom de Plumes. I'd been playing around with an anagram program on my computer and came up with the variation of my own name that I liked. Chick Revet. Paul quickly anagrammed his own name and decided on Juan Pinkles, which is pretty great. (laughs) Juan Pinkles is that's solid. The addition of our literary doubles implied how the century had not only been forgotten from Marvel continuity, but by the real world as well. Paul wrote an outline and I did a concept art that you can see here. There's a photo of a character with a kind of like square face guard holding a, like a, a What are those things called? Pike, stick, spear. Paul wrote an outline, and I did the concept art as well, and we were both excited. Paul was going to get to do his what if Superman was real bit, and I was going to get to play with Marvel's sandbox of characters and art styles that had heavily influenced me growing up. We knew our idea asked a lot of Marvel continuity, but the company was on the skids, and that is often the best time to pitch something revolutionary. The Marvel Knights line was proof of that. Paul set up a meeting with Quesada and took the train down to the city. I waited for Paul's call, letting me know if it was a go or a dud. Now, anyone who knows Paul Jenkins knows that he can be direct and to the point. And when he called me to let me know that the Century meeting had gone, how the Century meeting had gone with Joe Quesada, he immediately told me he was going to do the book with Jay Lee. This set me back on my heels for a bit. I mean, you hear the concept and the storyline for existing characters being hijacked by a publisher and editors all the time, but not so for a completely original concept. Thing is, bringing in Jay Lee made a lot of sense. He and Paul had done a corker of a job on Inhumans, which had even won an Eisner. I couldn't fault a publisher starved for hits with maximizing box office potential, even if it meant me being thrown under the bus. I had plenty of other projects to keep me going, and more importantly, Paul had been there for me more than once for Tundra, so I didn't make a stink.
1: At least
0: I have Swamp Thing. At least I have Swamp Thing. But when Paul enthusiastically went about the marketing plan it built around Chick Revet I had to gently remind him that really he couldn't use an anagram of my name as it really would stick out. But basically, like, I feel bad because this whole thing was Rick Veach's
1: idea it sounds like him. It sounds like he had all of the ideas that made this cool and interesting. Yeah. And the way he described, I mean, the way he, de- you're saying that, you, like, the miniseries like, okay. Yeah. The way he describes it sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let let me be frank
0: and say that I have not read it in a long time, and when I read it originally, I was like, no, this is fine. Let me be Steve and say I've never read it. Let me be George and say, you know what? It's okay. Let me be Arthur and say that I wrote it. Wouldn't that be let me be Stan? Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let
0: me be Jack and say that it was actually me who wrote it. Let um, me be Juan Pinkles. Let <laughs> be Juan Just Pinkles. let me be him. Yeah. Let me just live in that skin. Dude, I feel like you could probably get the rights to Juan Pinkles from Paul Jenkins and
1: he wouldn't care. Yeah. Can yeah. I, can I name, can I ch- legally change my name to Juan Pinkles? Do you, <laughs> do you give me your blessing? I mean, I've already changed my name to Chick Rivette, so. Uh, it's um, really easy to change your name now. You just did it on your computer as we were talking. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting that um, that even in this weird metatextual story, it kind of mimics actual comics history where there's always a person who kind of did all the work who gets shoved out of the way. Yeah. With Batman, Bob Kane didn't really do anything. And Bill Finger and Jerry Robinson did everything and they don't get any credit, like even legally, like they're not even on the books um, They, I think Bill Finger is now, but that's like three years of the 80 years that the characters has been around with fucking Stan and Jack, like Jack Kirby did 95% of the work on those books and doesn't receive the appropriate level of credit, right?
1: And what was the reason why they shut him out? Because at this time, it wasn't like he was some, like, small – up. like, he was no slouch in yeah. terms of clout. Was it yeah. just because they wanted to package them as, like, from the the team that did this really successful Inhumans book? Yeah, it's 100% that. And also, like, I like Rick Veach a lot,
0: but – He's just not Jay Lee. Like Jay Lee, even now, 20 years later, is still one of the biggest artists in the comics industry. Like he, a book that Jay Lee draws is going to sell hundreds of thousands, if not millions of copies more at a little bit before then. than you know, no book sells millions of copies now. But like Jay Lee is still one of the biggest artists in. I sold a million copies of Bob. Oh yeah, yeah. To the one guy on yeah, the bus. Yeah, he bought a million comics. He bought a million. Co- he was a, he was a speculator. Yeah. Either just like I was like his I was bedroom. like these are going to be worth a lot of money someday. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 interesting to me though that even in this like weird pantomime of comics history, this kind of chaos magic incantation, this like primordial rite of creativity, it still happens. Like there's still a guy that just gets fucked. Yeah. Which is like so goddamn depressing. Like Stan Lee didn't even have anything to do with this. And he still took credit for fucking Rick Veach's idea. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Even in the world where Stan literally has nothing to do with it, which is a lot of Stan Lee things like it's just
1: so. Oh, we skipped over it or we just didn't read it. But there's there was in the interview where he's talking about the hoax. They 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 interviewed Stanley about the hoax after it was revealed. And he literally said, "Uh, yeah, I was I was into it. Like anybody who knows me knows that I, you know, I'll never pass up a chance to take credit for something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's like joking. He's like, you know, doing his sideshow huckster. Oh, shucks. You know, I'm not I'm not really that guy. I'm not really a snake oil salesman. But also, I'm going to just literally say to you that. If credit isn't nailed down, I'll just steal it. Like it's so crazy. I don't know. It. it part of me wonders if this project <laughs> had come out like a few years earlier. Like if it had come out instead of coming out at the the like bottom of the trough of like the speculator bubble bursting. If it had come out in like instead of two thousand, and if it had come out in like nineteen ninety three, if this book would have been just the greatest you know if it would be up there with Watchmen and not not even because of the quality of the work which is objectively not bad I, it just doesn't really do it for me in the way that um, Inhumans did but just because of the surrounding story because I can't even really think of many times in comics history that a book has had a concerted conspiracy around it mm-hmm. you know like
1: it's so crazy that they got away with it and then we're like yeah look what we did yeah, I mean, it's it's there's two things. Number one, it's crazy. Now, it's crazy looking back on it that like, this thing that was just talked about in a magazine, like actually served as a successful marketing campaign for a product. Like, can you like if if this happened now, like like this in a magazine, nobody would even know about it. Yeah, it would just and, and even people who do read the magazine, like they would just not take it seriously like the the, the cultural cachet of stuff that is talked about in magazines is so invaluable now um that it's it's just it's just crazy looking back on this and being like oh like magazines especially especially in a in a uh industry where like this was pretty much the magazine like it's just crazy to look back on and see how powerful like it was able to be at a time um uh and then you know second it's just the whole the I feel like it wasn't done – it could have been done a lot cooler, but it, it is just really – it's really – it's a really cool way to I, – I can't believe everybody agreed to do this. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess the reason why they agreed to do it is because of the marketing aspect of it that they thought that it would – And there was nothing left to lose. Um. But otherwise, you know, it's, it's just it, – it, it's surprising that all these people would have just agreed to, like, do this weird little hoax idea.
0: Yeah, it's like a weird performance art comics project. Yeah. It's so fun. I love – and I also love the fact that, like, the emphasis wasn't on Jay Lee and Paul Jenkins. You know what I mean? Because I feel like the the gut instinct for a creator in that situation is to make the hoax in some way about them so that they are the center of the story. Mm-hmm. But A, incorporating Stan is really funny. And B, because I think if you... There, there is a version of this conspiracy that, like, when it comes out that it's fake, kind of is metatextual commentary on the fact that Stan steals Mm -hmm. credit for things. Yeah,
1: it's very strange how that it
0: could be that way. Yeah, but it doesn't quite land. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it's it is, but it also isn't. Like, it could have very easily been shifted to really be like. With a, a couple interviews here and there or a couple little pieces by, you know, like if there had been a second part of the hoax where Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee went missing because they didn't get any credit or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there's a whatever the end of it is would have been a commentary on Stan's role in it. And that obviously didn't happen, um, but it would be really it would be fascinating if it did. Yeah. So what I'm saying is Paul Jenkins, I don't know what you're doing on these days, but uh, you should do the centurion and have the same hoax
1: with. Dan Lee again and do that. But it would all take place on comicbook.com. Ugh. Home of listicle clickbaity bullshit. I wonder if there's any uh, century truthers out there who are just like, like, who are just like, Artie
0: Rosen is real. (laughs) Artie, I met Artie Rosen at a convention in, in
1: Pacoima. No, the, the the guy that I was talking about earlier who mm-hmm. said that, mm-hmm. he just, in order to save face, he just had to double, whenever the thing came out, he just had to double down and be like, no, this he's real. Artie Rosen, <laughs> I went to school with Artie Rosen. You think I don't know Artie Rosen? I
0: want to meet this person. I feel like this person's name is like Eugene. Eugene.
1: The idea is so funny to me that there was a there was like a neckbeard uh, douche who just like claimed that they knew this person and acted condescending. And about he's it been doing friends. it for 20 and years. And then whenever it was revealed, he just had to just double down on it in order to not humiliate himself. And he's just f- crafted his entire life around believing that this that Ari Rosen is real and that Stanley and Ari Rosen really created this character. I love it. And his friend, like they're just old, and he's like, "Just admit it." Just, what admit what? Just, I don't have
0: anything to admit. Just what?
1: Just admit that you pretended like you knew who this guy was, and then it was embarrassing. Yeah, it was embarrassing. Sure, fine. Just stop with this. Stop with the facade. <laughs> We're like eighty years old. We're gonna die. You didn't know Artie
0: Rosen? <laughs> yes, I did. I don't know what to tell you. We went to we went to, to a PS
1: one hundred and eight together. <laughs> You didn't live in New York.
0: <laughs> uh, I love it so much. Um, yeah, I. I just. Oh God, it's so depressing to me. Everything involving the like wizard connection and them just exploiting everything is.
1: Someday they'll find it. The wizard connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and me.
0: The Garib, the Seamus, and me. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. All of my notes for the like last discussion bit are kind of what we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah, they've
1: been they've been uh peppered throughout. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I um I'm fascinated by the story and I'm also fascinated by how nobody remembers this specifically because of Brian Bendis. Because Bendis put the century on the new Avengers team and kind of took the character and made him, you know, a character in the Marvel Universe, not in Marvel Knights, like just a straight Right down the middle, like, he is Superman, he has this mental health thing, he's the big heavy on the team, and now he's gonna be in all these Avengers comics. And I don't even know if most people who know the Century even remember that this miniseries happened, let alone this miniseries had a hoax behind it. Like, I think they're just like, oh god, another century fucking cameo in this stupid Bendis run, like, we don't like the century. please stop writing the century. Like, I don't—there was a period of time where Bendis was, like, he was obsessed with taking lower-rung characters and, like, making them cool, you know? And he did so really well with some of them. Like, we wouldn't be talking about Luke Cage today if— Bendis hadn't made Luke Cage like a B-list character, if not low A-list character in the Avengers pantheon. And Chuchiwuchi? Bucci.
1: No. Oh, Chuchi Chuchiwuchi is DC.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he loves Woochie. Yeah. He also loves um, Snap Gornenbort, which was a little known character from the romance era that got brought into the uh, Marvel comics um, around the time that Steve Ditko left Spider-Man. So there's a big uh, g- uh, cameo from him towards the end end of
1: steve deco's spider-man run so if you haven't say that character's name again what do you mean <laughs> say, it. No, say it again what do you mean what what's the character's name
0: <laughs> what, are you ta- what are you talking about the character that i just said yeah i know his name i don't need to say it again
1: <laughs> it's like i know he doesn't remember what the name was
0: <laughs> i know the character's name I, n- I know the character's name the character's name was Gringo stratus
1: I don't think you, I don't, I don't even think you picked up on that. That I don't think you remember that that was the name of the, uh, the fake, uh, Tintin character. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I totally did not. I totally did not. Since we record these late at night, I, my memory is just like done. Like, I, after I leave this recording studio, I just, I'm like, I think we recorded one. I don't know. Choo Choo Woochies? Is that what it was? Yeah, it was, it was Choo Choo Woo Wuchi. That's a solid name. Yeah. I feel like we should make a, a comic uh, or, you know what? We should sell t-shirts like how Pete Holmes does. There's, it's like a little Tintin yeah, head, it's like, it's... but it says Woo Wuchi at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: And the, the word balloon that Tintin is saying is just like,
0: Erje was a Nazi.
1: And then just go around like similar to that fictional Artie Rosen truther, just act super condescending to people about how, about you don't, not you don't know Woo Choo. And then somehow that like resonates out and then like, Five years from now, we just see like a teenager wearing a Choo Choo Wuchi shirt.
0: Somebody cosplays as Choo Choo Wuchi. <laughs> yeah, they're walking by my table at San Diego, and I'm like, "Oh my god, Choo Choo <laughs> Yeah, duh. <laughs> I I love it too. I want to go to there.
1: Me too. Me too. Oh boy. Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. This story weirdly reminded me of a part of my nostalgic childhood that I forgot existed. Mm. Um, I largely think of my childhood as a lot of uh, watching movies, watching TV, uh, renting movies from the video store, uh, watching movies on HBO um, and, uh, and reading books. Uh, and I, I, I kind of forgot this weird little missing chunk of like, Reading these like magazines, whether it's like whether it was like Wizard or uh, Game Informer for video games, um, was, was the trading card one? Rune, Rune Scroll, Rune Scry, Scry. Uh, did you ever read Scry? I never read that. I think I think I think uh, I, I I did read some other like trading card game magazine.
0: Did you read Toy Fair?
1: The Toy Fair. That's what that's what I read. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I read Toy Fair. Uh, and um. Uh, and yeah, now that you're saying that I have like a, I have like a vivid memory of like some article in toy fair that was just talking about how shitty the 1990, the, the, the remaster, uh, re-release of the Kenner star Wars toys, the princess Leia Mm. and just how shitty it was. Mm -hmm. It was just like an article about how terrible the princess Leia toy was. And it was just about how like her face looked, her face looked mannish and it's like, it's like that wouldn't like, yeah, it, just, it, it, just was it was never It was a different time. Yeah. It, it was it, like, um, uh, but yeah, like, like that. And I, I just, I just remembered this missing part of my childhood of like reading these books and like being like weird, weirdly caught up in the, uh, in the like insider, uh, continuity of, of comics and, and toys and trading card games and things like that uh just from reading these magazines yeah it's funny because they well i have have two thoughts on that
0: one it's hilarious to me that the comics magazine is called wizard because that name has nothing to do with comics like on the first like couple issues they dressed marvel and dc characters in wizard robes with a wizard hat and then by like issue three or four they're just like eh, fuck it the name of the magazine's wizard moving on whereas like toy fair star log famous monsters of Filmland, like You know more or less what the magazine is. A magazine called Wizard, is it a fantasy magazine? Is it a magazine about wizards? Like, what the fuck is this? It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Which is really funny to me because I think it started as, like, a newsletter that Garib Seamus had, like, I think maybe his dad owned a comic store or something, and so he had a newsletter that he would, like, print out every X amount of time and sell to the, or give to the patrons, and, like, he finally decided to do a magazine scene thing, and he sold a bunch of them, and then all of a sudden, now he has a, a business selling this magazine. And he kind of like has this meteoric rise over the 90s and then similar to the comics industry this crushing defeat where the magazine kind of stops publishing in the early 2000s and then he and his brother are deeply involved in the convention side of the wizard business and his brother at some at some point Garib Seamus leaves and I don't I remember it being under shady circumstances but I don't remember why. But Stephen Seamus gets fucking arrested because Stephen Seamus is stealing bags of money and memorabilia from celebrity guests at the wizard conventions. Like he literally would just go into people's hotel He's rooms.
1: A cartoon burglar?
0: Literally. Because like, I don't know if you've ever read about this, but like the business model for these kind of like comic book celebrity, the actors, they, they do photo opportunities and sometimes they're like $50 a photo. Sometimes they're like $200 a photo and they, they only accept payment in cash so by the end of the day,
1: all right, it's going to be a two hundred dollar fee for your table area and another fifty dollar fee for the burlap sack with a dollar sign painted on it. <laughs> yeah. And like at the end of the day, you have like, you know, Chris Evans handler
0: taking literally trash bags of money up to their hotel room, you know, or you have Elizabeth Olsen's management crew with suitcases filled with twenty dollar bills. And Stephen Seamus got busted because he would bring stuff to get people to sign and then just conveniently leave with more memorabilia than when he got there. Um, And also would, like I said, go into people's rooms and just like, oh, you've got to, I arranged this meeting in your hotel room to get my commemorative Star Trek The Next Generation plate signed, Patrick Stewart. And I see that you have seven bags of $20 bills over there. Okay, hey, everybody look over there, look over there! Grab a $20 bill bag and run. And like... Nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's... it's He ended up getting arrested and like kicked out of the fucking company because of this. Yeah. And then... Jesus. He and his brother started a new convention circuit called Ace Conventions. And the Ace shows are just movie celebrity people. And it's the same shit
1: where it's a wizard world. And they're much more ethical because uh, they they tell you up front it's in the actual rules of the of the convention that he's going to rob you
0: yeah he it says every celebrity who comes in here is forced to pay a tithe to steven shamus of 14.7 percent and or one trash bag filled with 20 dollar bills <laughs> yeah and like it, they're just so s- slimy like i'm i'm friends with garib shamus on facebook because i habitually do this where all this like friend request people that i just think are abhorrent and Garib Sheamus' life is so crazy. Is that how our friendship started? Yes, definitely. Oh. Uh, his life is so nuts. His job, in air quotes right now, is that he's an artist, like a fine artist. You want to guess what he paints? White paint mandalas on white canvas. I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even shitting you. Like giant, like 15 foot tall mandalas. I'm not even fucking around. And he like sells them in galleries in France and, you know, all over the world where he just like is connected to rich ass motherfuckers who are just like, oh, gabe gabe you're a nice guy. I'm gonna buy one of your hokey ass phoned in. You totally didn't paint this and you paid somebody else to make this. And now you're taking credit for it. Mandala paintings. Uh, you know what
1: I want to talk about now? Uh, the story of the time that uh, in some context I said, uh, oh yeah, the Mandela effect. And then you thought that I was like making some kind of pun and you were like, oh yeah, like like Nelson Mandela? And I went, yeah. <laughs> and you and then and then you were like you were like, oh yeah, like you know, the, the, the concept of how Nelson Mandela is different to some people than other people. And I was like, I was like, yeah. And then you like laughed, and I was like, that's what it is. It's Mandela effect. And you were like, what? No, it's not. It's mandala. It's a mandala effect. And I was like, no, it's actually Mandela effect. And then you were just like, what? Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was not my finest moment. Look, I <laughs> for some reason i I thought that a Mandela effect and a mandala effect, one of those was a joke, and the other one was the real thing. Only problem is. I got which one was the joke backwards. I thought it was like a well, man- you know, I thought it was like a mandala effect like you you know how mandala are rhythmically patterned drawings.
1: Yeah. You know and like they Well, you know some people they remember it as being the Mandela effect in this a different set of people who can swear that it was mandala effect.
0: I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> This has been Deep Cuts. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Please sub the show. You can find me online at
1: www.heydavebaker.com. You can find me watching the Sinbad version of Kazam and at dapricerights.com. Bye. (laughs)